Well, welcome to today's message on a labor of love. And as we go into this text today, we're going to be looking at one of the great passages of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. In this chapter, we, we're faced with this question, what is my labor of love? What's the thing that I do out of love for God? Before I go any further, let me make it clear that our belief is that we are not saved by our works, but we are saved by grace through faith. But we also have an understanding that faith should express itself in love. And that faith causes us to, to act and to do things for God. You recall that James, uh, perhaps he was a brother of Jesus, James had said, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And so actions matter. Work matters. Our labor matters. The Bible has a lot to, to say about the work we engage in. Consider the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. The Apostle Paul here said, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Or Colossians chapter 3, verse 25 and 26. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as though you are working for the Lord, since you know you will receive a reward. Is the Lord you are serving? And I like what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 53. Be steadfast, because you know your labor is not in vain. Your labor is in the Lord. So I want to talk to you today about this idea of a labor of love. I want to ask you the question, what is your labor of love? Now, the Hebrew writer, and we're not certain who wrote Hebrews, it's an unnamed book. Uh, many believe Paul. There are others who have suggested Mark or James. I'm not sure who wrote this book. But I like the Hebrew writer's understanding of how faith and work link together in a natural way. And the Hebrew writer tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Now, the Hebrew writer sets up for us a pattern. And throughout the rest of this chapter, here's the pattern. First, it describes someone had faith. And it says, by faith, and then whoever the person is that has faith is named, and then their action follows. Or it says, by faith, and whatever it was that has faith follows, and then the action is named. It's a pattern that's repeated over a dozen times in this chapter. And it kind of begs something from us as the reader or the listener of this text. Here's what it begs or questions for us. By faith, Marty does. Or by faith, Brenda does. Or by faith, David does. It asks us the question, what's my labor of love for God? Well, here's what he says as he's talking about the beginning. And the first group that he describes is, is actually us. He says, by faith, we, that is all of us, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. By faith, we believe. We believe that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God made it out of nothing. The pattern continues, and we get to the first character, and this letter is being written to a Hebrew audience. In the, in the, in the Jewish world, where faith had really began, right? Jesus came in among the Jews. He lived in, 
and the area around Israel. And so as Jesus ministered, this is where he had ministered. But as time has moved forward, and we have the persecution that's broken out in Jerusalem, and the Christians have been scattered abroad, uh, there's a, a need to continue to reach back out to the, the people of Israel. So this letter is written to encourage them, and because that's a big part of what the Hebrew letter is about. It's also a letter written to people who, who are what we would you know, say were non-resident Hebrews, people who lived around the world, but they didn't live in Israel. And they want to make sure that everyone knows the story of Jesus. So he starts with what they know. And the Hebrew people, they know Genesis. They know the stories of the Old Testament. And so he begins this passage and this pattern by talking about the things that they know. And he moves from what they know to what they don't know. And so he starts with a character that we all know, Cain and Abel, the story of Abel. And he says, by faith... Abel brought God a better gift than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. We might ask ourselves, what's the, if that's true, what is it that Abel still tells us, even though he's dead? And the message of Abel is, do your best. Give your best, right? Give your very best to God. The Hebrew writer continues and he says, by faith Enoch. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Because before he was taken, he was committed as one who pleased God. And know this, all of us remember this, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone comes, who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly Seek him. We have action here again. Enoch believed and he pleased God by faith. The message of Enoch is clear that we should live to please God, give our best and, and live our lives in a way that pleases God. Another familiar character, by faith Noah built an ark. It was his labor of love. Not only was it a labor that God asked him to do to potentially save others, but in the process of doing it, he would save his own family. It says here, by faith, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness. That's keeping in faith. I want you to catch something about the Noah story, right? There's a lot of belief that says that before the time of Noah, there are had never, there had never been a need for a vessel as large as the ark. And imagine that, that God tells you, I want you to build this incredibly big uh, house, this houseboat, basically. I want you to build one. And, oh, that's going to be really difficult and really hard. It's going to take you over 100 years to build. It's quite a task. And you're doing this all on faith that says, you're going to build this in an area that's dry land. <laughs> believing that somehow there's going to be enough water that's going to come and lift that thing up and carry you away. But incredibly, when we talk about faith, Noah believed God. He believed God. God said something that sounded impossible. But Noah believed. And so he built. And for a hundred years, he worked on his labor of love. And in the end, saved his family. By faith. Well, 
He's been building, the Hebrew writer's been building across the history of Israel. And he comes now to the penultimate character, the second most important character uh, to the Hebrew people, to Abraham. And Abraham's story is told over a lot of chapters of Genesis. And he talks here about the faith of Abraham. And the most important thing for us to remember about Abraham is that Abraham lives in the land of Ur of Chaldees. And he's a righteous man, and he loves God, and one day he's talking to God, and, and he has a sense that God is calling him somewhere, but he doesn't even know where he's going. But he senses that he has to leave where he is and head out on a journey to an unnamed and unknown destination that God will show him. Now, I want you to understand that anyone but the faithful, that sounds crazy. What? God's telling you to go somewhere, but you don't know where you're going, but you're going to follow him and head out. Yeah, that's the plan. It doesn't make sense to anyone except people of faith. And in the story, Abraham believes God. He trusts him. And so it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, who were heirs with him to the same promise. Now, something else is revealed by the Hebrew writer about the understanding of Abraham. And it reveals something that's pretty powerful. Abraham's goal wasn't just to live in a new place and to possess lands, not on the earth. Abraham, the Hebrew writer tells us, believed that God has something better for his people even after this life has ended. And I want you to hear that again, right? That's a very important truth because God does have something better for his people after this life has ended. Well, he did what he was called to do. By faith, he says, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He saw what was coming. There's a second really important principle I need you to gather today. We need to hold on to this fact. And this is, the, this is an important truth for us always to remember. When we do our work for God, God joins us in the work. If we are faithful, God is always faithful. Now, if we're not faithful and we don't do what we're supposed to do, God will still be faithful. But a beautiful thing happens when we are faithful and God is faithful. We can accomplish incredible things because we are joining God in God's work. It's a labor of love. We join God because we love God. God is also at work when we're at work. He's working in our present circumstance, and catch this, he's also working in our future circumstance. He's working on our future. Well, Abraham believed that. Now, there's a second character in the Abraham story who's pretty important, Sarah, his wife. It describes something that has happened, and again, the Hebrew writer, by the Holy Spirit, has an insight into things that we don't necessarily read in Genesis, when we read the account in Genesis where Sarah overhears God speaking with Abraham, I'm good, and tells, and tells uh, 
God says, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And we know that in the, in the Genesis account, she laughs because she thinks that she's old and that's impossible and her husband's old and there's just no way this can happen. But the Hebrew writer points to something else that occurs in the life of Sarah. She has a change of heart before her son is born. And she kind of moves from doubt to faith. That's why the Hebrew writer says, by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She came to believe if God said it would happen, it's going to happen. And she claimed the promise and she conceived. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sand on the seashore. Now, all these people were still living by faith when they died. I just love that verse. It summarizes the patriarchs to say, they lived by faith until they died. It reminds us of what we read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and you shall receive the crown of life. They were faithful. They labored for the Lord until they died, and, and so should we. I, I think there's a misunderstanding that happens sometimes. It says, you know, I, I've put my time in helping in the nursery, or I put my time in teaching a Sunday school class, or I put my time in. And, and, and what I read in the scripture is there's no such thing as your time. Your whole life is your time. Not, I did it for three years or ten years. It's a lifetime. Now, what we do for the Lord might change, but we never stop working for the Lord. At least we shouldn't. Well, these people, they had faith. But remember, the Hebrew writer says, all of them, they all lived before the time of Jesus. They hadn't even yet seen the promised one or the Messiah. But by faith, they trusted that God had a plan to deal with sin, that God had a plan to deal with the problems the world had. And by faith, they died believing God would do what God said he would do. So it says, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. That's an interesting line, but it has at its core an understanding they, come, they came to understand that their citizenship wasn't in Canaan or Israel. Their citizenship was in heaven. We would be wise today to understand that. We're a people that sometimes we think about geographical boundaries as defining who we are. I don't think God sees geographies the way that we do. Paul would later say, we are strangers and aliens. We're all foreigners here. This isn't where we belong. Our home is in heaven with our Father and our Creator. This is our temporary dwelling. Well, he says, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And I want us to embrace that. I long, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lover of the country I live in. Don't hear that any way but that. I love this country. It's a great place to live. But even here, I long for a better country. And, and the one I live in, I want it to be better, and I think we can be better. 
But the truest and best place that we're going to live won't be in the United States of America. It will be in heaven. And we understand that that's what we're looking forward to. That is the better country, the heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, and the Hebrew writer is implying, and for us, if we are faithful. Well, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Recall the story? Abraham, who follows God, is moved to take his son up onto a mountain and to offer his son as a sacrifice. We hear that story and read that story. It's troublesome. It's a very troublesome story. The only thing that helps it to make sense is what happens to Jesus. And that it's a, it's a foreshadowing of things to come. But what's beautiful in the story is that it tells us that Abraham even though he didn't live in a time of technology, he didn't live in a time that he had access to a vast amount of scripture. He lived in a, a place in a time where he believed some things about God that the average person probably didn't believe. For example, even though he had never seen it happen, Abraham, it says in verse 19, reasoned, or he believed, that God would raise the dead. And so when he goes up that mountain, his belief is that if I take Isaac's life, God will raise him up again, <laughs> which is an incredible thing if you think about the story of Jesus. That's exactly what God will do for his son. Now, of course, you know the story of Abraham. God does not require a child sacrifice. That's, there's never an instance where God requires that. There's one story about a crazy rash vow that a man took that he should never have taken, but that was not what God wanted. It was never what God wanted. God doesn't like the sacrifice of children. So, God spared the life of Isaac, and in a manner of speaking, Abraham did receive him back from the dead. Now, the next verse just says that by faith, remember we have the same pattern, by faith a person acts. And by faith, Abraham had passed on to his children and his grandchildren his belief in God. He says, by faith, then, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. And he worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. I love this. I love this part of the story, and it's an important point for us. We need to pass on our labors of love. And we have to pass on our faith. Please, please, please. Take time to talk to your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews about your faith, about God. Read them the stories of the Bible. Talk to them about those things. It makes such a difference, and it's so important. You see, if we fail to pass on faith to even a single generation, disaster will follow. So one of the great truths here that the Hebrew writer gets at is that faith wasn't just being held by people, they were passing it on to others. Which brings us now 
as we move closer to the ultimate character of the Hebrew experience and understanding. We're moving closer to Moses, but we can't get to Moses without the story of Joseph. You see, Joseph is who leads the Israelites into Egypt. Moses is who 400 years later will bring them out. But even when Joseph leads them in during a time of famine and God has has placed Joseph in a place of influence that he can save his family and they won't starve to death and he invites them to Egypt, even when that happens, Joseph believes something about God. Joseph believes God, if he leads you into something, he'll also lead you through it and he'll lead you out of it. That's important because sometimes we all face times of difficulties and trials and unexpected things. But the truth is, if God lets you in, he'll guide you through and he'll bring you out. And that's what happens in this story. And listen to what it says about Joseph. By faith, Joseph When his end was near, he spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In fact, he was so certain they'd get out again that he gave instructions to take his bones in his little sarcophagus and to take it with them when they leave. He told them that. Listen, now when you leave, make sure you take my casket with you because I don't want to be buried in Egypt because Egypt's not the promised land. It's not, we're going to be here, but it's not the promised land. And I want to be buried in the land of the promise. And so I love it. One of the, one of the best things they ever got right in the Moses movie, and they don't even talk about this, but it's, you see them carrying this casket. And the, the, the untrained eye or the unknowing person doesn't have a clue what that's about. But it's so important to the story. They were faithful to take the bones of Joseph into the promised land. And that happened. Well, here we are at the main character. And the Hebrew writer now understands his audience, and, and he says some things. Well, he says some things about Moses that we will find hard to, to understand altogether. I told you that Abraham saw a type, or he saw a foreshadowing of Jesus. But the Hebrew writer tells us something absolutely incredible about Moses. Listen to what it says. Now by faith, first the parents of Moses, by faith his parents, hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We know the story of Moses as a baby, that Pharaoh wants to kill the children, and the male children, but uh, his parents protect him. So by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace, now check this out, for the sake of Christ. Wow, that's a pretty incredible thing to say since Jesus isn't going to come wrong for another thousand plus years. No, Moses understood that There was something godly about coming alongside the enslaved people and being willing to sacrifice yourself to save them. He believed in the Messiah that was to come. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt 
because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so it was by faith that he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. This is a reference to Moses seeing God and living and how that all happened. It was by faith that he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Egypt. And it was by faith. I say, if God leads you in, God leads you out. It was by faith that the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Now, it's subtle, but don't miss the harrowing truth of that sentence. With faith, there is an escape. But with no faith, there is no escape. That's a powerful thing. Now, here the Hebrew writer shifts. And all along so far, the pattern has been By faith, a person worked. But now it's not going to be a person. It's interesting that he does something very unique in these last few verses. He does something very unique. He starts to talk about unlikely people who had faith or unlikely things that had faith and acted. And what he's going to say next will change forever how you will view the statement as dumb as a box of rocks. It will change how you view that statement because listen to what it says happens next. All right, remember we've seen this pattern over and over and over. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And after the army had marched around them for seven days. I just want to say something to you about the start of the story. Is it possible for rocks to have faith? Jesus says that if the people hadn't praised him, the rocks would have. He says the rocks believe creation, believes in its creator. What's great about this story and the way the Hebrew writer writes it, the subject of who has faith is the rocks, the walls, not the people. Think about that story. The Israelites march around, march around, march. They never touch the walls. And when they go on the seventh day and they blast the trumpet seven times, The rocks just let go. (laughs) They stop doing the job of holding up the walls. They just let go and they collapse. (laughs) God has spoken and his creation listens. And the walls and the rocks just let go. And as to make it even clearer that if rocks can have faith, And all the people we've talked about so far, they were all considered great people of faith and high moral qualities. And and none of them were perfect. They all had imperfections, but they weren't grotesque imperfections. We could look up to them, admire them, and say, well, we all have flaws. So now the Hebrew writer brings up someone who had a lot of moral imperfections. People wouldn't have had a lot of respect for her because her occupation was prostitution. But the Hebrew writer says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab 
because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Why the change here at the very end? The Hebrew writer wants us to make it, but wants to make it perfectly clear to us that if any of us possess the least amount of faith, a mustard seed, we might say, we can still do great things for God. And we can have a labor of love. What more can I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, who through faith administered justice, who through faith gained what was promised, who by faith shut the mouths of lions, who by faith quenched the fury of the flames, who by faith escaped the edge of the sword, who by faith found their weakness was turned into strength, and who by faith became powerful in battle, and who by faith routed foreign armies. You see, by faith women received back their dead, raised to life again. And there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they might gain an even better resurrection. By faith some faced jeers and flogging. By faith some faced chains and imprisonment. By faith they were willing to even be put to death by stoning. The consequence of their faith for some was they were sawed in two. Some were killed by the sword. Some went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Some wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and, and holes in the ground. He's taken us on quite a journey, hasn't he? from the greatest of Israel's history to the least of Israel's history. But he's told us that by faith, they were all looking forward to something better. And verse 39 says, they were all commended for their faith, even though they had not yet received what had been promised but they had faith to believe that God had planned something better for them, and the Hebrew writer says, and something better for us. So that only together with us could they be made perfect. They believed even though they did not yet completely see or know who Jesus was or what Jesus was going to do. They believed, they served, they worked and they labored in love for God because of their faith. Well, I said at the very beginning that this pattern begs a question of us as we conclude today's message on this Labor Day weekend. The question for me and the question for you is, by faith, what am I doing for God? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray your blessing over this time today. As we come to this moment of invitation, we invite you to speak into our life in the same way you did into Abraham's, in the same way you spoke into Jacob's, the same way you spoke to Moses. Father, lead us as you led them into the things that you would have us to put our hands to. And Lord, may we be faithful in our time as they were faithful in yours and in theirs. 
that we too might be about your business, your work, that we'll join you in your work, and that we will do so with glad and sincere hearts. We know that you are counting on us, and the world desperately needs to see us being faithful. Thank you for your greatest labor of love, the labor of bringing Jesus to the cross to die for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do so as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Amen.